Good morning, my name is Bryce Hales, and I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC, and uh, it's great to have you here this morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Daniel chapter 6? Um, we are, are finishing our series in the book of Daniel this morning, <clears throat> and uh, looking at probably the most famous, um, the most famous incident in the book of Daniel, although... That's not always a good thing, <laughs> as, uh, as we might uh, find in a little bit. But uh, if, you're, if you're following along in one of the blue uh, Bibles near you, um, you can find Daniel 6 on page 743. And if you would, uh, would you please stand with me as we uh, give our attention to God's Word, Daniel 6, starting in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any faults because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, Live forever. All the presidents of the kingdoms, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Skip down to verse 16. Then the king commanded... And Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his, of his lords, that nothing might be charged, changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No, and no diversions were brought to him, and slept fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, 
and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the uh, witness of Daniel, for this incredible story. And God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear uh, what you would say to us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I've told you before, one of my favorite places on the planet is Zion Canyon, Zion National Park in, uh, in southern Utah. And several years ago, we were on a um, family vacation with uh, our family, but uh, my parents and my, my, uh, my sister and her family were there too. And if you've ever been to Zion, you know that one of the, the most prominent kind of features of Zion is, is this peak called Angel's Landing. And um, Angel's Landing, you hike about, I don't know, two miles up the side of this mountain, and then the last, you, you get to this like saddle, and then the last half mile is out this um, crazy precipice. And um, it, it's called Angel's Landing because the, the person who, who named it said no human, nobody could ever get there except an angel. Right? Um, and so you go out Angel's Landing, and there are places where you are on a piece of rock, you know, six inches wide, and down there, it's 1,000 feet, or maybe 800 feet straight down. And down there, it's 800 feet straight down. And so my brother-in-law and I decided that we were going to get up early and we were going to hike Angel's Landing. And uh, you get out to the, um, the saddle, and there's a sign that says, um, you know, beware, like, people die here. Like, I, I, it was like since 2010, six people have died here or something. I'm like, that's one every year. <laughs> um, and so we're going out out this thing and you've got to climb, you know, maybe another 500 feet in elevation too. And we're walking along and I said to my brother-in-law, um, I said, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, in terms of how comfortable I am right now, I'm at about a 2. <laughs> um, I hate heights. I am, t even just talking about it right now, like my palms are getting sweaty. I hate heights. I'm terrified of heights. Um, and I was totally, totally uncomfortable. But I kept going because I was determined to make it to the top. And we made it to the top. And it was beautiful. And it was totally worth it, even though it was still still terrifying. The top is like big. You could land a helicopter up there. My brother, I still wouldn't stand up. <laughs> I'm just so, um, How do you handle being uncomfortable? There are a lot of things in life that make us uncomfortable. Right? And how we deal with them says a lot about who we are as people. Um, there are a lot of things in life that make us uncomfortable, and I think they can be put mostly, uh, just very broadly, put into one, two categories, one of two categories. There are things in life that are uncomfortable but worth it, and there are things in life that are comfortable but totally not worth it. Um, and the things that aren't worth it are the, the sorts of things in life that it's like, this is just annoying and it's frustrating. It's like, um, like getting sick, you know? It's uncomfortable. Uh, it's not pleasant and nothing good seems to come out of it. Taking out the trash is one, um, not pleasant, you know, I mean I suppose like if you don't took out the trash it would be bad eventually, but um, I was talking with, uh, was it Bethany this morning, we were talking about allergies. I've never had allergies in my whole life until like the last six weeks. And um, I don't think anything good comes out of having allergies. It's just miserable, um, it's expensive, it's just the worst. 
Nothing good comes out of having allergies. But the second kind of discomfort includes things like going to work, going to school, going to the gym. Um, it's kind of like the no pain, no gain type of discomfort. Um, you don't maybe enjoy the process, the, the discomfort, but but there's a reward, there's a result on the on the other side that's totally worth it. And so we endure it. Nobody goes looking for uncomfortable situations. We don't have to look for uncomfortable situations, right? The reality is that just the way that life is in a, in a, uh, in a broken world, um, discomfort finds us. And I think we have to be honest about um, comfort <laughs> because um, most of us live here. I think if we're honest, most of us would say we live where we live because we want to be comfortable, right? Um, and we've gone through, maybe we work hard, we've, we've endured a certain amount of discomfort, but we, we live where we live because we want to be comfortable. Um, and that's not, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think the problem is that um, we come to expect comfort. Um, you know, most, most of the world, um, most people in the world do not expect that they have like a right to be comfortable. Um, and so most people uh, kind of grow up thinking, well, you know, there's going to be a fair share of discomfort in life, and so I'll deal with it. But, um, you know, Americans and, and just Westerners, broadly speaking, we kind of have this thing where we expect that we should be comfortable. And um, so we are surprised when difficult, uncomfortable stuff hits us. And, um, and we're sort of bent out of shape because we think we don't, we don't deserve it. And that can lead us to a place where we put all uncomfortable situations in that first category of totally not worth it. Um, because we didn't expect it, we, we hate it, we, we think that you know, if we're living a good life that um, God owes us like happiness and comfort and, um, and it's just not worth it when things are uncomfortable. Um, anything mildly unpleasant is like getting a vaccine, you know, it's like, a, Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll kind of grudgingly acknowledge that something good could come out of this, but mostly we just kind of like, uh, buckle down and like, okay, hit me, and then we leave as quickly as we can. Um, we don't learn anything from it. We just suck it up and try to get over with as quickly as we can. Okay. How's that for an uh, uplifting introduction? <laughs> um, this morning we're finishing our series, um, This Is My Father's World, this series we've been looking at this fall in the book of Daniel. And uh, in the book of Daniel, we've been asking the question, what does it look like to live faithfully? Uh, what does it look like to not just survive, but even thrive when we live in a world that is increasingly um, just chaotic? Um, and we've said, and, and I think that there's general agreement on this, that, that we might diagnose our, you know, whatever's happening in our culture in different ways, right and left and traditional and progressive, whatever. Um, I'm not super interested in the categories that we use to diagnose what's going on in our culture, but I think that we would all tend to agree that something in the last several years has shifted in our culture. Um, and we see that in like the increasing polarization um, uh, in our country, uh, whether it's political or otherwise. Um, we see that in, um, I think one of the main things that has shifted is, is we used to have this sense that, you know, if we did the right things, that things would work out for us. Um, and, you know, the housing crisis and the economic, you know, all that kind of stuff, I think, has, has led us to a place where we tend to have less confidence that, um, that things are going to work out no matter what. 
And so the question that the book of Daniel helps us answer is, how do we live in a world like this? Um, how do you live as a believer in the one true God in a world where everybody says, you know, religion is not right and wrong, it's, uh, it's opinion? You know, how do you live as a believer in, in, uh, in the one true God in a culture that says, oh, there's many ways to find God and it's, it's up to you, it's just personal preference. Uh, how do we live with hope in a world that's increasingly pessimistic? Well, the message of Daniel is that it's possible not only to survive, but to thrive, to live lives that are deeply meaningful and full of significance, even when the world seems to be shaking all around us. And Daniel 6, I think, summarizes this really nicely. Um, and what I want you to see is this. I think this is so important for us, especially in South Orange County, that faith thrives in uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. That faith, um, that uncomfortable situations are the soil in which faith grows. So I want you to see two things with me, and the first is, is what I just said, that faith grows in uncomfortable circumstances. Here we see um, Daniel, and uh, when we first met Daniel, he was, he was a teenager, and he's ripped away from his home, and he's taken into exile in Babylon, and uh, he quickly has, has risen to significance in the court, uh, you know, in the early chapters of Genesis, or uh, sorry, Daniel, he, he kind of rises to prominence in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king. And God uses him in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, and then Nebuchadnezzar gets old and dies, and uh, the king that takes over after him, Belshazzar, um, sort of sends Daniel back into, um, you know, probably the, uh, the oblivion of government bureaucracy, and uh, he's kind of just ignored until Belshazzar encounters a problem in his life. And Daniel is called up again and, uh, to serve the king. And then Belshazzar, uh, the Persian Empire, invades Babylon. And they kill Belshazzar. But it's fascinating, isn't it, that they, you know, the, the Medo-Persian Empire invades Babylon. They kill the empire, or emperor of Babylon, but they keep Darius the king keeps Daniel. Um, he keeps him not just alive. I mean, he, he's one of, he, Daniel again rises to, uh, to become one of the three chief governors in the Persian Empire. How does that happen? I mean, um, Daniel has, like, the, the odds are stacked against Daniel. He is a, he is a, at this point, he's probably in his 80s. He's a Jewish man who is living uh, in a pagan world that is just totally stacked against him. How does he live? How, how is he able to be so successful in a pagan world? Well, the principle that I think we learned from Daniel is this, that um, to live faithfully in a world where life, all over, you know, the world seems to be shaking all around us, we must neither compromise nor withdraw. Um, now think about what that means. If you are a, let's say you're a believer and you're living in a culture that feels like it is just, you know, uh, well, I don't want to say like say it like that, but like, let's say you're just you're you're a you're a believer and you're living in a world where it feels like things are increasingly uncertain. What is it? Um, what? Is, how do you live faithfully in that world? There's going to be two options, right? Um, there's going to be the first option is going to be, well, I'll just go along. I'll just become like everybody else. Um, I will lose my distinctiveness. The second option is I will retreat from the culture and I'll kind of establish this like subculture existence. Um, and we'll just be against the culture. But Daniel doesn't do either of those things. He, um, he doesn't withdraw, 
and he doesn't compromise. Now, um, which of those things would you say that Christians have tended to do in 2016, uh, or just in the 20th, you know, 20th, 21st century? <laughs> do we tend to uh, do we tend to like lose our distinctiveness and just become like the rest of the world, or do we tend to withdraw and kind of criticize the culture? I think there's a there's a fair amount of both, but Daniel doesn't do either. He doesn't compromise or retreat. Um, in this story, we read the, the the government officials they don't like Daniel. Right, and um, so they're they're trying to set him a trap, and they go to the king. Uh, well, first they try to dig up some dirt on Daniel, and um, and why are they doing this? Well, they say let's uh, let's um, you know let's look into Daniel's past. Let's uh, surely there's some scandal in his life that he's managed to be hidden this far, thus far. Uh, let's just do a little investigation, and surely we'll find a way to get rid of him. Um, and it says that they sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the law of the kingdom. Um, why did they do that? Well, they assumed that Daniel was just like they were. Uh, this, is a, um, you know, this is a culture where corruption would have just, you know, where, where corruption would thrive, right? Um, and so if you're a person of influence, you're a person of significance, you can use your status in life to get ahead. And uh, they assumed that Daniel was just like them. Uh, but they couldn't find anything on him. Why couldn't they find anything on Daniel? Why couldn't they just get rid of him? Because he wasn't like them, right? He wasn't like everybody else. See, if you go into the world empty, you're going to constantly be trying to fill yourself up. And so if you have some level of influence that you can exert over other people, you're going to take advantage of it if you go into the world empty. If you go into the world empty, you are going to, uh, if you get a promotion, you're going to feel superior to your peers who did get that promotion. And uh, if you see a way that you can get a little bit more for yourself, you're going to take it, you know, even if that maybe means, uh, well, i got to step on somebody else to, uh, to get there. But if you go into the world and you're already full, if your security and your identity and your comfort are not in what you do, but in the God who, who lives and who created you, then you're already full. And so you don't, need to, um, you don't need to fill yourself up. And what that looks like then is that if things go well for you, then that's great. But if things are hard, you can stick it out. You know, if work is hard, if marriage is hard, if parenting is hard, if parenting is hard. Um, of course parenting is hard, right? Um, or when you want to get married but you can't find a spouse, whatever it is, um, you can survive, not just get by, but you can thrive because... Your comfort is not dependent on your circumstances. Your comfort is dependent upon the God who exists. You don't get bent out of shape when you're uncomfortable because you didn't expect to be comfortable in the first place. It's nice to be comfortable, but you don't need to be comfortable. And so we see in Daniel, if we're going to be faithful, uh, we can't compromise. We can't, be, we can't be just like everybody else. But also we see that Daniel doesn't retreat. Um, you know, it's interesting, like, what, Daniel, uh, Daniel's a prophet. Like, he has the gifts to be involved in ministry, right? But where does Daniel work? I mean, he works for the government, right? He, he works for a pagan, uh, you know, regardless of what you might think about, you know, the party that you don't vote for, um, the Babylonian Empire was worse, right? Uh, the Persian Empire was worse. And Daniel is a government official, um, 
He doesn't pitch a fit when things don't go his way. You know, when this law comes out, you're not allowed to pray to anybody except, uh, except the king for 30 days. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a new empire. We're establishing territory. We've got to rally the troops and solidify support for the king. So nobody's going to pray to anybody but the king for 30 days. And what does Daniel do? Well, the first thing he does is he gets on Twitter and he starts complaining. He makes this new hashtag about, you know, pray three times a day or something. But no, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. Um, he doesn't say, I've got to get out of here. He doesn't complain. Um, <laughs> he doesn't do anything like we would do. The two strategies that Christians... Tend, you know, there, there, I think there was a time, like when I was... When I was growing up, there was a time when, like, if you're a Christian, you only listen to Christian music, right? Um, we only ate at Christian restaurants. We only drove Christian cars. Right? It was a very lonely life. Um, there's nothing wrong with Christian music, right? But um, I think that, that kind of world of, like, oh, we're only going to listen to Christian music has sort of subsided. We only wear Christian t-shirts, though, of course, right? I think the influence of that has sort of subsided. Um, but... What do we do now? We complain. We complain, or we just go along with everybody else. Um, we, um, we go along with everybody else. We say, oh, I see the game you're playing. I can play along. You know, I can win at that game. And we look just like everybody else. But what we see in Daniel is that he does just the opposite. He doesn't compromise, but he doesn't withdraw. And so the order comes, everybody must pray to, Dan- to Darius the king for 30 days. And what does Daniel do? He just prays. Now it's interesting. Did you notice it doesn't say he went into his bedroom and opened up all the windows? Right? He's not like making this big show about, oh, you're going to make it illegal. I'm going to pray. Right? He said, it says the windows were already open. He doesn't go in and close them. He doesn't go in and hide what he's doing. But neither does he say, I'm going to blow my horn and, um, and make a big deal about what I'm doing. Um, he doesn't have to be seen, but he's not afraid of being seen either. Um, and he's thrown into the lion's den as a result. And his, his faith thrives in this overwhelmingly uncomfortable situation. Now, I was thinking about Daniel um, this week. And I was thinking, you know, it's, it's easy for us to think, like, uh, Daniel's like this hero of, of the Old Testament, right? What a, what a hero of the faith, Right? Uh, what an example. But, I mean, think about what life was like for Daniel. I mean, as a, as a teenager, he's, like, kidnapped and t- taken away from home. He, you know, he, he gets this position of influence, and then the king that he works for goes nuts. You know, he, his life is just up and down and up and down and up and down. We look at him as this hero, but life was not super easy or comfortable for Daniel. And his faith thrives in this overwhelmingly uncomfortable situation. So let me ask you this. What do you do when you're uncomfortable? Uh, what do you do when life doesn't go the way that you want? Like, I'm not encouraging anybody to go looking for trouble. Right? Like, don't go looking for uncomfortable situations. Just wait a minute and they'll find you. Um, but the truth is that God uses uncomfortable situations to affect change in our lives. Uh, change very rarely happens when we're, like, on vacation in paradise, Right? It's not a bad thing. I mean, sometimes we need the rest, right? And we can come back to engage. But, but change tends to happen when we are uncomfortable. So don't go looking for trouble, but you don't need to work so hard to avoid it either. Um, in The Lord of the Rings, you know the story of The Lord of the Rings? Um, 
maybe I'm, I, I kind of assume like, we know the story of the Lord of the Rings at this point, but maybe you don't. But the story of the Lord of the Rings is there's the hobbits, right? And uh, what do the hobbits love? They love the Shire. And the Shire is this peaceful land where they eat breakfast twice and they have, you know, all these different meals that they eat like every 45 minutes. And um, they live a life of peace and comfort and ease and they love it and they never want to leave. And when Gandalf first shows up and he says, I'm looking for somebody to go on an adventure with me. And I think it's Bilbo Baggins says, an adventure? Like that could make you late for breakfast. Why would you? Filthy, nasty things, right? But then these four hobbits go on this adventure with, um, with Gandalf. And um, the reason that they go is because they want to save the Shire. You know, I think there's a point in the, uh, in the books and in the movie where, where Frodo, is, you know, he jumps down to attack somebody and he goes, the Shire, with his sword, right? Like that's why he's fighting. He wants to protect the Shire. And they overcome the Dark Lord Sauron, Sauron how do you say it? And they come back to the Shire and what have they found? They, the Shire doesn't really satisfy anymore um, because they've gone on this adventure and they've become leaders and they've become people who um, the, the, um, the comfort of the Shire no longer satisfies because they have experienced life in another kingdom. They've gotten a glimpse of another world and, um, and this life of comfort and ease is no longer satisfying to them. What about you? Are you um, are you just like everybody else? <laughs> are you just like everybody else, or have you caught a glimpse of a different world? Have you caught a glimpse of a different place, um, of a different kingdom? If you have, uh, you know your tastes can change. The the things that used to bring comfort and satisfaction no longer, no longer do anymore. Now I can leave it there. We could say, okay, now go and be like Daniel. <laughs> um, you know, you might look at your watch and say, that'd be a really good idea right now. Um, but that wouldn't be a very good sermon because basically what I've told you so far is go try really hard to be like Daniel. Just do, you know, we, what we really want this message to be is um, if you are faithful to God, then no matter what life throws at you, you'll come out unscathed and unharmed on the other side. Um, but I think that somewhere deep down we all know that that's not true. But the question is this, why aren't we like Daniel? Like, okay, great, all you got to do is be perfectly faithful to God in every situation for the rest of your life, and then you don't need to worry um, about anything bad happening to you. There's a huge problem with that, and there's, there was one person who was perfectly faithful to God um, in every aspect of his life, and, um, and great harm came to him. We'll get back to that in a minute. But the second thing that I need you to see, that I want you to see, that we need to see, is this. Why does faith thrive in uncomfortable circumstances? Okay, it's not just that it does, but why does it? Um, and this, so the second thing I want you to see in this passage is that God meets us in discomfort. God meets us in our discomfort. Um, why does Daniel pray three times a day? You know, what would Christians do today if prayer was outlawed? We'd, like, throw such a fit. Like, oh, we're being persecuted. Um, you know, we're going to take to Facebook. We're going to make a new hashtag. I remember when I, was in, uh, when I was in school. I don't know if this is still a thing that happens, but, you know, there's a whole controversy about, like, prayer in schools, right? 
can, can Christians pray in schools? And so there was this thing of like, once a year we're going to show up at the flagpole before school and we're going to pray. Now there's nothing wrong with that, but like, I prayed in school once a year. Like, wow. <laughs> we totally showed them, right? Um, but I'll tell you what, you're never going to pray three times a day if you're just trying to prove a point. Um, Daniel prays three times a day because he knows God. Because prayer is a lifeline for him. Did you see what it said? It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, but the windows were already open, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He prays because, because he had already found, like prayer was the source of life for him. And prayer was connecting to the source of life, and so prayer... Uh, resulted in his comfort in uncomfortable circumstances. This is not Daniel's first rodeo. He's an old man. He's been through the ups and downs, um, and God has been with him. He knows where his life comes from, and so he just keeps praying like he's been doing all along. And that's why when he's sent to the lion's den, he just goes. It doesn't say that they bound him and threw him in. He just, okay, here we go again. <laughs> been here before. And the next day, Darius, you know, it's, it's really amazing, I think, that the, the other officials hate Daniel, but Darius the king, you see, he has this great affection for Daniel. And he's so distraught at having to do this to Daniel. And uh, the king hasn't slept, and he gets up early, and he goes to check on Daniel. And he says, Daniel, you know, has your God been able to save you? And Daniel says, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And when he says, he doesn't say, my God sent an angel. He says, my God sent his angel. And uh, we saw this, uh, I think, chapter 3 with um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they go into the firing furnace. Nebuchadnezzar says, there's four of them in there, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. And I don't have time to fully unpack this. I did actually write a paper in seminary on this, but (laughs) I can find it if you are interested. Um, But when it says an angel or the angel of the Lord, what's happening is that Jesus Christ is showing up in the life of his people. And it's when he goes into the lion's den that Jesus is with him. If the message of this passage is, if you trust God, nothing bad will ever happen to you. No matter what happens, you'll always come out unscathed then no wonder we are, um, we are so, uh, no, matter, no wonder we struggle to live the way that God wants us to live, right? Because uh, bad things happen to us all the time, right? But you know, there's someone who is way more innocent than, there's someone who is way more innocent than Daniel ever was. Um, there's someone who was thrown into a den and a rock was placed over the entrance of the den and it was sealed, right? And his death was, was sealed. And did he escape unharmed? No, of course he didn't. Of course he didn't. God doesn't deliver. Why does God not deliver? Like, why doesn't God just, um, if he's going to do this miracle, why doesn't he just, like, uh, strike the guards dead and let Daniel run away, right? God doesn't seem to deliver from the lion's den. He delivers in the lion's den. In Psalm 22, it says this. Psalm 22 predicts what Jesus the Messiah would say and quote on the cross. 
And uh, Psalm 22 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All who see me mock me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Okay, Jesus just quotes the first part, but the whole thing is there in the psalm. Is it just a coincidence that those are the words Jesus cries out on the cross? That when Jesus is going through, I mean, uncomfortable does not even begin to describe the experience of the cross. And then what he, what he goes to, what he quotes is, the lions have opened up their mouth against me. Why does Jesus you know, go to the cross abandoned by God, consumed by the roaring lions? Well, he does it so that when you and I are hurled into the lion's den, we don't face it alone. But we, Jesus is with us. And the one who has been devoured by the lions closes their mouths. Whatever you're going through in life, whether good or bad, you don't have to face it alone. So when you face troubles, problems, stress, difficulty, discomfort, you know, you know that you're not alone. But when you face those things, you have an opportunity. There's an opportunity that's that's presented to you. You know, will you will you fight it? Will you kick it? Will you complain against it? Will you talk about how awful things are? Or will you embrace the fact that God is about to do something in your life? That though the circumstances in my life may stretch me and stress me, God will use them to bring me to himself. And whether we emerge unscathed or not, we can give him thanks because in our discomfort we found a new source of comfort. C.S. Lewis said this, that God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. And if pain and discomfort are what God uses to get our attention, to shout at us, to wake us up, then why would we work so hard? I'm not saying go looking for it, but we don't have to work so hard to avoid it either. I want you to know I'm not just like saying this. I would say that the last two months of my life have been incredibly uncomfortable, stressful, difficult, hard. And I was, um, I was meeting with a friend, uh, uh, sort of an older pastor. Uh, we were having lunch yesterday, and I was, or on Friday, and I was t- telling him about, like, we've been preaching through the book of Daniel, and we've been telling him about what we've been talking about week after week. And he said, oh, it sounds like you're, um, you're just preaching to yourself. <laughs> said, yeah, I have, yeah. I hope somebody else is getting something out of this because it's been helpful to me. Um, But I'm starting to learn in the midst of that why Daniel prayed three times a day. Um, I have started this practice of um, in the morning leaving my house and just going for a walk for 20 or 30 minutes and I listen to the Bible and then I turn it off and I pray. And I'm only telling you that because you could try it too. <laughs> I got to get out of my house and away from my computer and email and phone and children and everything. And like at some point, I got to keep praying because I just am not back to the house yet, you know. Um, but it's a lot easier to say, hey, I've only got 20 minutes. And so I'm going to go do this than it is to just sit down at my desk and scoop it all together. But I'm finding that um, in the midst of the difficulty that there is incredible joy in knowing that God is close, that he is near. 
I'm not quite willing to say that I would prefer it, but um, but he's good. He's good. Let me finish with this. Um, Angels Landing. Why in the world would somebody who's afraid of heights go and do something so incredibly uncomfortable? I was thinking about that last night, and I'm like, why, why did I do that? Like, um, I think part of it, I just wanted to say I did it, <laughs> you know? Um, and part of it was doing something fun with my brother-in-law, and part of it was knowing that once we get to the top, it would be beautiful, and I would enjoy the fact that I had accomplished this thing that was hard. Um, but, you know, the reality is, the thing I didn't tell you about Angel's Landing, and some of you who have been there maybe would know this, but there is like a steel, like, guide rail that you hold on to the whole way out there. Uh, like a handrail that's welded into the rock. And uh, it's not a hard hike. It's just that the consequences for tripping are fairly dramatic. Um, and so there's this handrail that you can hold on to. And it would be insane to do it without that handrail. And yet, with the handrail, with the support, it's really not that big of a deal. And I think that's a pretty good picture of what it's like to live in a world that's going crazy. Um, you know, we could complain about it, or we could say, hey, I get the game, and I'm going to go along, and I can actually win at this game. Or we could say, we could listen to the message of Daniel, and see that there's a God who rules over every detail of life, that nothing comes into our life apart from his will. That he cares about us, that he loves us, and that he's going to use even the hard stuff in our life to show us how incredibly and overwhelmingly good he is to us. Now that's really good news, but it would be crazy to do that alone. It'd be crazy to think that we could survive that just on our own, no big deal, 800 feet down on either side of my trip. And that's why we need the church. That's why we, need, we have to have support. That's why the Garthofners, I mean, I don't want to speak for them, that's why they're standing up here and officially becoming members of our church because we're saying together, we cannot do this alone, but we need the support that God offers us in the church. That's why the church is here. And that's how we can face the uncomfortable situations of life and not just endure them and get through them, but actually grow in the midst of them and come out the other side unscathed. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the book of Daniel. What an incredible um, story. What an incredible God. You've been faithful to your people for thousands and thousands of years. And God, I pray that you would enable us to respond to your faithfulness with thanksgiving, um, with joy, with prayer, with seeking not to avoid the uncomfortable circumstances of life, but in whether, uh, whether it's in joy or in discomfort that we would cling to you because you are the king who will reign forever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.